Welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan. This podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you are enjoying these episodes, we would love it if you told a friend. And maybe just tap that little subscribe button, you see. On today's episode, we are delighted to bring you the inspirational work of Monique DeBose. Monique is a superbly talented singer, songwriter, and also an award-winning playwright. We talked to her about her beginnings in music, traveling the world singing jazz and taking requests, and of course, her more current work, which we certainly encourage you to find and adore. Please, please enjoy the lovely Monique DeBose. All right, Monique DeBose, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, well, I loved it. We had a nice little chat leading up to this, but I am just kind of curious a little bit. Let's kind of go back to the beginning. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Where'd you grow up? Cool. Um, thanks for having me on, too. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for being here. Yeah. I grew up in L.A. I was your, I don't even know if you can say a typical L.A. kid, but I had a very normal childhood Uh played outside on the sidewalks uh, with friends in the neighborhood growing up and, you know, created shows in my garage, used, you know, the stereotypical California garages. It's like a stage door I could just lift up. So yeah, yeah I grew up in LA and wrangled all the neighborhood kids to perform with me. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a director before you were anything else. I was a director and a producer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is some of the first music that you were listening to around the house? What'd your parents get into? So my dad used to, he was an avid runner. And when he'd come home from his long runs on the weekend, he'd put on like uh, Marvin Gaye on the hi-fi or um, later my mom would put on Sade. Um, But a lot of like R&B, a lot of um, like Motown music, my parents, more my dad, but yeah, it was just, I used to roller skate in the backyard to the OJs and the ET soundtrack, but you know, I had a diverse, (laughs) (laughs) a diverse range of music as a kid. I'm trying to, what's a song off the ET soundtrack that I can't think of? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I used to like roller skate just pretend like I was flying with E.T. Yeah. That's a perfect song to roller skate to. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and were you, you we kind of got into the fact that you were a director and a, and a producer, but were you always a performer? Did you kind of, did you grow up singing around the house? Was it very open? I, absolutely not. No, I no. was one of the most shy people. So it's, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I, I've been a walking contradiction for a lot of my life and I've, I've reframed it now. I just have many, many facets to myself, but I was always shy. And my younger sister was just like that vibrant in your face, cute little like energy. So I think I just kind of retreated. So when I said I wanted to sing, a lot of people were like, I I didn't know you sang at all. Or or even my parents were just kind of like, okay, uh, sure. So it was deep inside. And so I feel like at this later stage in life, like in my 40s, I'm more now ready to like let it out. 
did you find the confidence was already there? Did that come later? The confidence came probably in my 20s. I didn't actually start singing publicly until I was about 19. Oh, wow. So I went to school at UC Berkeley. I, I And freshman or sophomore year, I decided to start singing with an improv um, workshop in okay. Berkeley. And that's when I started actually singing out in public. So, yeah, it was, it was, a, I was a late bloomer. So that's really interesting because a lot of people, especially now, I mean, if, if I'm going to point people to go and listen to what you have, but you've got pipes, man. And you, got, <laughs> you can really sing. So like most people like that has been a training through their whole lives. Did it kind of come naturally to you? Um, I'm going to say yes. But it also came with a lot of criticism, self-criticism. So what we were talking about before, like, mm-hmm. am I getting it right? Is this what a singer is supposed to sound like? Yeah. As opposed to just really honoring, which is more where I am now. But in the beginning, it was like, well, I don't sound like Whitney Houston, so I must not be a singer. Really? <laughs> like, it was like, that's what a singer sounds like. Or yeah. I don't sound like Aretha Franklin. And then I discovered Ella Fitzgerald. And I was like, oh. And then I discovered Nina Simone. And I was like... So I like the diversity of what it meant and, and Tracy Chapman and who I could be really like started to make more sense. And then I had more confidence about my voice. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Just kind of opening those doors to, oh, there, there, I can, there's many voices. I don't have to be this one voice. I can be all these different things or I can just find my own, which is definitely what you have done because it is such a unique tonality and everything. And just the fact that you're open to criticism and actually seeking it, I think is something that is very unique. Do you find that you're still doing the same thing? Well, I still, I still work with my voice teacher. I definitely have gotten better for sure. Yeah. Um, but, and I mean, I've had enough like experience and, you know, singing in Beijing, China for four months, you know, six nights a week on a, you know, stage and a, just being that woman when you walk in, I mean, you've traveled, you know, in those beautiful hotels. So like I've had spaces where I've gotten to really like work and, and, and cut my teeth or whatever. Um, but yeah, I still have a voice teacher and I still am working on placement and I'm still working on letting myself be more free, like all of it. It's like, I'm so free in the world. And then when it comes to singing, sometimes I'm super free. And then other times I'm like, did I get it right? Yeah. So that, that's, that still happens sometimes. Yeah. Your bio talks about being an improvisationalist and can you tell us what that is? Sure. Yeah. So that's going back to Berkeley. I stumbled upon this amazing singer named Joey Blake who worked with Bobby McFerrin and Bobby McFerrin had an orchestra of voices called Voicestra. And Joey was one of those voices. Um, And so I started learning with him this idea of improv singing and circle singing. Um, And then I started studying with an amazing master teacher, Rhiannon, who uh, she was also part of Voicestra. And it's really creating music on the spot. It's really building pieces by yourself or with other people. Um, 
that may never exist again. Like if you don't record it, it's gone forever. Yeah. But it's really being in the moment. And I actually do workshops with people as well to really help them, not necessarily just for singing, but for learning how to be in a moment and learning how to own all the parts of yourself in that moment. That's really interesting. Cause to me that the thing that pops into my head is like a, a solo musician sitting around with a, a great studio with a loop pedal, a drum kit, a, a couple different guitars that sound different, a bass. And they're just like, they go around, they get what they want going. And then they just create this thing mm-hmm. out of kind of out of nowhere, but you're doing it more vocally. It's all voice. All, all voice. voice. That's all amazing. Voice. Yeah. So Especially in the group also. dynamic. Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. It really creates such a beautiful container, like instantaneously. If everybody is willing to play, it creates an amazing amount of trust because you're creating something together. So you're building the plane as you fly. Yeah. So you really have to listen. You really have to be present. So I love it. It's been a, it's been a part of my work. Uh, it will continue like until the day I take my last breath, it will continue. To be part I, of I, I really like that. Cause it probably helps you continue to be, I think people can run into walls of creativity. And if you just kind of like, well, I've got this practice that I can always fall back on where it forces creativity. Cause like you said, it, that music never would have been created. It's one of my favorite. I heard this. I can't remember where it was. I actually think it was like a, from a, one of the band members or one of the members of the band fish, but he said like, they go into those extremely long jams and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why do you guys play a song for 30 minutes? And he, I think one of the, he was like, well, if we didn't play that for that long, that music never would have been heard by anybody. And what a shame that would be. <laughs> and I just really love that mindset of, of that kind of, yeah, why not? There's, I think that's the thing that people need to ask more often, right? Is why, why wouldn't we try it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we live in a, in a culture that's very, you know, put it in a box. We know what it is. Let's make it easily digestible. Yeah. And obviously 2020, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, Mother Nature is just like, all right, people, we're going to do it differently. (laughs) We're going to have to change course because this isn't sustainable. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there is that like we have to be able to grow like our attention span. We have to be able to grow our nervous system. And I think being able to sit with something that you don't know where it's going or you don't know how long it will be is actually kind of it's really a challenge for people today, but it's also such a gift if you can let yourself surrender to it. It's also a form of meditation, I would imagine, because it's yeah. it's very much a singular focus type practice, which is fantastic. Did you so okay, you're at Berkeley and did you did some international travel? Where did that come right after following your time at Berkeley? No, I worked at a pharmaceutical company. I was a you know, bright-eyed 22-year-old graduate trying to be the manager of like people who are my grandparents' age, <laughs> making like Baravax and uh, MMR, you know, all these vaccines. And I, I, I literally stayed there for 53 weeks because if I stayed less than a year, I had to pay back my relocation. Oh, nice. But I knew week one, I was like, oh, this is not my life. I can't do this. This is not, I mean, everybody has their own choice uh, and their own path, but I knew I was not on my path. Yeah. So after that year in Philly, which was wonderful being in Philly, um, I decided that's when I would start really focusing. And I joined a jazz band and just started learning, learning the practice of singing and improvisation in the scat form and all of that. So then the international travel came later. And um, I worked over in India, I worked over in China, 
Um, I sang in Fiji, I sang in Germany, you know, the Netherlands. I, I sang lots of places, but I did lots of residencies in, in Asia. What kind of music was this primarily? Well, uh, they said they wanted jazz. And then I got there and I can't tell you how many times people were like, can you sing that Celine Dion, Dion song? My heart will go on. <laughs> I was like, okay, here we go. So it was a really great crash course in learning pop music as well. Cause yeah. I really focused on the great American songbook up until that point. I wasn't a pop singer and I'm not a pop singer really, but no. I had to really learn how to do those tunes. Like, on the fly because when you're performing at a, a place and people ask for requests you're inclined to do the do the songs so. you gotta at least give it a shot and usually the band's <laughs> like we got this we got this can you do this i mean what a um yeah that's an absolute crash course did you feel comfortable doing it do you think you it would have made a difference if you'd have been the states doing it versus being overseas did that give you some more comfort because it was a strange place and or was it the opposite, maybe? You know, I've never even really considered that. But when you asked me that, I think I probably felt more comfortable being the American in somebody else's world. Um, and I think just in general, I've always felt more comfortable being somebody overseas or not being in a, a familiar world. Because I think my world has never really been too familiar. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable in the, like, or I seem to thrive in the not knowing and the discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> so. And when you say jazz, uh, give us a couple of examples of what that, a couple of songs that that might've been that you guys would have, that you guys would have performed. So we might have done, you know, um, That's All, which is, uh, I don't know. I can only give you comfort walks. It's okay. Time. Okay. Um, I would do, um, at last, I mean, that's not really jazz, but I would do that because that would yeah. be a big request. I would be doing, you know, uh, anything Frank Sinatra would do, anything Ella Fitzgerald would do, um, you know, Gershwin, uh, Cole Porter kind of tunes, that kind of I'd stuff. love to gain complete control of you and handle so love at least a small percent of me for I love all of you and so we're going to use this to kind of transition now into where you're at now and kind of how you've gotten here because you've got some really amazing music out there and is that are those your main influences when you're pulling it because it seems like you're my guess is that you're pulling from everything that you've done 100 percent. i mean when i am writing i i was just talking with somebody else recently when i write i really write for myself i i write to inspire i write to document mm -hmm. um i write to encourage so that is that is what I'm pulling from. I'm pulling from my life experiences, but musically, um, yeah, I'm pulling from all the genres that I, I love. Absolutely. Yeah. And are you, when you're, what's your writing process? Is it writing the melody of the words and then finding some people to put some music behind it? Or are you composing everything? It's a combination. 
Okay. It's a combination. So there are some uh, songs where I've written the lyrics, the melody, uh, and just like really clunky chords. Yeah. And then I'll go to a proper like musician, uh, and I mean instrumentalist, who can really help like arrange and make it beautiful. Yeah. Um, the most recent work, I worked with two friends who are phenomenal musicians as well. So we co-wrote uh, the most recent songs. And so we really got deep into to conversation, like, what are we here to say? What am I really, like, what needs to be said? And then they would go away and come with some music and then I would come with some lyrics. So yeah, it's a combo. It really depends on if I'm writing solo or if I'm writing with somebody else. In the yeah. Moment. And are you kind of, are you, do you have one group of musicians around you at this point? Or are you always branching out? Well, I think right now I am branching out, honestly, because yeah. I think with COVID and where we are in the world, like I haven't been able to like really be in music creation all the time. So yeah. yeah, yeah. But there are some musicians who have been in my life for the last 10 years. So when there are things to do, it's like, hey, you want to come play? You want to do this? So yeah. Okay. Let's start with this big, beautiful, powerful song you released, I think around 2018, called Damaged Goods. Oh, good, yeah. Now, there's some really powerful imagery in here, like the white collar prisons and creatures in a comfortable life kept a smile all while dying inside. These types of messages, um, what, what is this message? What are these images representing? So, in a just a, a thirty thousand foot view, damaged goods really speaks to it's because baby we're damaged goods, baby we are so good. So it's yeah. kind of flips the idea of damaged goods on its head. You know, all the while dying inside, white collar prison, new winter. We were less different than a real. We don't exist perfect and our imperfections really make us good. Yeah. Um, so those specific pieces you pulled out, like white collar prison, I, I was writing something about um, the lives of uh, women who uh, feel trapped in a world or who feel like um, they're presenting on the outside, but they're just, they, they cannot be themselves and the misery that comes with that. Stepford so Wives. It's really, pardon? There's a movie called Stepford Wives from back maybe oh, like I saw 20 that years a ago or so. Time ago. Yeah. That's what that makes me think of. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that does not make me think of that. <laughs> That's the power of music. We get exactly. to bring our own experiences to the lyrics, to the melody. Um, uh, so White Collar Prison is really speaking to that. Somebody who really like has privilege in their world but are they're still they're still trapped yeah. inside themselves yeah i think a lot of people find that and you you success is a trap right so can be. that's can be. was it when i listen to it i hear you know the me too movement coming out of that a lot which was a lot it, but that voice was louder in 2018 than it is today because of the chaos of of what we were talking about covid and everything going on now yeah. but 
that seems to be like the root of it. And does a song like that kind of happen over time or did it happen rather quickly for you? It happened over like a couple of months. Okay. Uh, the, yeah, I wrote a body of music with uh, Isaac and Torald Corin. Those are my brothers from another mother. So I, and we sat down and created over a couple of months. So, but it was like going deep into the wells of like, what am I here to say? What are the things that are really important for me in this moment? Yeah. And Damaged Goods was one of those. There yeah. was something to it to me that was a contrast between verse and chorus, where the verse is giving us the reality of the situation. And then the chorus, just what you said really beautifully, takes this damaged goods idea Mm-hmm. And then reverses it just like so subtly at the end of that line. And just yeah. it all of a sudden, because you're just like mourning for this character in this song. And then all of a sudden you're just like, no, I'm good. Like I need to go through this in order to become me and, and blossom. And is that, you know, were you kind of aiming to make sure that you have a light at the end of the tunnel in this? That was the tone? Well, you know, it was always like, I got a, I got a wink at, at the end. Like you're okay. Yeah. Um, like I said, writing, <laughs> writing to inspire and to encourage. It's like, yeah, sometimes things feel like this. And in the grand scheme of life, like we all have to walk our journey. We all have to walk our path. And that does not include just like rubber, like walls and no, no way to hurt yourself or to get, you know, in trouble. You have to like go through those things to really grow yourself. So yep. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this. I'm curious now, you just put out a new song, Rally Call, and I'm this is I'm telling everyone that's listening to this, go to YouTube. I'll link to it, but go watch cool. this video. It's unbelievable. And it's such a good, powerful song. Come I'm going to ask a similar question as I did to the last one. Did this come up over time or was this kind of like everything that's gone down this summer in the States? This was written in the same period that Damaged Goods was written. Really? It was written in the same period. And it was, see, this is the part that's really interesting. And this is where, um, yeah, it just really shines a light on all of what we can see and what mm-hmm. we're, we all experience based on who we are, what we look like, the path we walk. Yep. Um, because I wrote this song because I was tired of feeling like my voice didn't matter. I was tired of having to erase myself so that people um, who look like you would feel comfortable and so we can keep going with this narrative of the United States. Yep. Um, and I'm just saying you because you're a white person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Shocker to beard. everyone listening. I know that it doesn't <laughs> sound like it. <laughs> it's not your beard. It's not your hair color. <laughs> but just that 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 phenomenon that goes on in our culture, where um, black people, people of color, like 
have a place, an unspoken place in our culture. So I was, I was complete with that. I just could not do that anymore. Yeah. And so this was, uh, there's a lyric in it, uh, in it that says, get rid of those papers. And what that refers to is there was a time here in the United States where black people could not walk freely. Like even free blacks, air quotes, free blacks yeah. um, could not walk freely. And so if somebody was, if a black person was walking on a road to go somewhere, anybody who was white could stop them and say, where are you going? Where, who, who do you belong to? Where are your papers? Yeah. So in a way, I'm just, I'm really trying to express like, cut off that mindset. Like we, that does not work anymore. That just causes a lot of like continuous like stuff that none of us benefit from. Yep. Like no, none of us, like none of us, even people who think they're benefiting from it. Like they're not, it's like holding a beach ball, trying to push it down underwater in a pool. It's like yeah. constant energy. Like nobody's benefiting from doing that. Yeah, I can't, you know, it's hard for me to obviously imagine coming from that place just because of what we were talking about, the differences, the clear differences in how we've, how life has been for you, me, or anybody in the, that's separated by the skin color thing. Yeah. But the thing that is really, was interesting to me because you touched on the thing with the, um, with the papers. And I heard that lyric and I instantly went, and was just like, where does this come from? And I could, I could, I could just plug a simple keyword search in, and all of a sudden, I've got this whole breadth of information that I just had no idea about. And it's just uh, that's one thing that I love about music and song that if you're willing to go that extra mile and question yeah. the lyrics and be like, where is it? Where are they coming from? What does that mean? Um, you can find out and learn so much that just like I was just like, wow. And then I'm like, when was this? And then you're like, wow, wasn't that long ago? Come on. And I just had to stop you because you brought so much joy to me. Yeah. By you, like, I mean, having that curiosity and following it, that, that really lets me know, oh, this song is doing its job in terms of like, I, I really like be so, I'm so bold to say like, this song to me is medicine for all of us. Yeah. It really is like a salve that we can like, put wash over us and like heal. So that just brought me so much joy to know that right. you're like, oh, I didn't know. And now I have this new information that I can carry with me moving forward. I love exchange and appreciation. I couldn't have <laughs> given you that joy unless you gave me the song. So it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The, um, so I, it kind of, that you kind of led me into this next question, which is in your experience and your, your opinion, how does music play a role in spreading the message of important social issues and movements now and then throughout history? Well, I mean, yeah, that was just a perfect example of, uh, of this question. Um, but I just wrote a quote on an Instagram post I did. Um, I think it was, oh yeah, Paul Robeson, who was a great American singer. He was, he was, he was a true Renaissance man. Um, but he said, and I, you're going to have to just give me one second because I really want to tell you the quote. Yeah, take your time. He said, artists are the gatekeepers of truth. We are civilization's radical voice. So I feel like music, art, any kind of creative expression can make such an impact. And this is why I believe it can do it versus me just saying, 
hey, Corey, let me tell you this. Instead of you just having to receive me telling you something with all the energy I have with it, putting it into a song or into a play or into a, a, a painting allows the audience to be seduced. Like it allows the audience to let their guard down because they are not in a space of, uh, I need to protect myself, defensiveness. Yeah. It's like, ooh, I'm receiving something. So, and we're usually happy to receive art and music. So I feel like that is one of the powerful um, superpowers of music and of art. It, it slips in the back door. Yeah to let people know about and feel things that they might have been too afraid to like consciously approach. I plant the seed a little bit deeper. Yeah. Because if you, especially if it's a song that obviously if you really like a song, you don't just listen to it one time. If you really like a article in a newspaper or anywhere that you read it, you usually don't go back and read it four or five times. So that's an important thing is that if you get this message through in a way that's, you're proud of and you know can hopefully be heard over and over again it really does plant that seed deep what are some of the songs that you think of or artists that you think of in terms of making music like this that's had these type of moments in in our history well i mean nina simone jumps out like she okay. literally gave her life uh for the cause uh that she stood for um like mental health like uh, her fortune, Paul Robeson. That's the old man that I'd like to be. What does he care if the world's got troubles? What does he care if the land ain't free? Old man river, that old man river. He must know something, but don't say nothing. Um got blacklisted during the whole McCarthy communist communism times. Mm -hmm. And like they literally revoked his passport. Like he was big traveling and that's how he made his income as an artist over in Europe and Russia. And like, so um, that's another person uh, trying to think somebody, uh, I, I didn't listen to her music necessarily, but I know of her cause she has made such an impact on, on uh, society. I say sister soldier. Like okay. she, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know her music well, but I've listened to some of it and she was just a very, or she is a very radical, um, pro-black person, pro-feminist person. Um, and so those are some artists. I'm trying to think as well, like broadening, like the perspective. No, um, I think of like Sam Cooke. Sam um, Cooke. Yeah, I go back absolutely. and think of like Dylan's early stuff and all yeah. that. Like, he was singing about the civil rights movement in the early 60s and everything. And really like, you know, in a way brought that to white America for the first time. Because it was just all these white folkies listening to it. And they're like, what is he yeah. saying about? Oh, yeah, we right. believe in that. And that's just... You know, those are some more of the mainstream ideas that my mind goes to. Yeah. Right? I mean, 
anybody who's willing to speak uh, truth, even um, in a gentle kind of smooth velvety way, uh, yeah. India Ari, yeah. like she's just singing positive, like I love myself. And that in itself is radical mm -hmm. for a person of color to say, um, no, I, I, I don't mind that my hair looks like this. Like, no, I don't want that straight white hair. Yeah. No, I love my brown skin. Like that in itself is a radical, a radical act. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Though I think that, you know, a solid list. It's really hard to just start thinking of those because there are so many of them. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're like, wow, like, who is it? And then you start thinking of the different. And Marvin Gaye, what's going on? His yep. whole album, that whole yeah. album, like amazeball. Um, okay, so besides this uh, in, insane musical talent that you have, Thank you're you. also a um, an award-winning playwright. Yes. So what can you tell us about your experience creating and performing? And I'm going to get this one right, I hope. <laughs> mulatto the word? Mulatto. Yeah. Mulatto, mulatto math. Mulatto math. Summing up the race equation in America. Um, so the creation of that show, um, I, I'm going to just do a quick backstory. I was given the diagnosis of a desmoid tumor in my abdominal wall in late 2016. Okay. So doctors were like, you got to be on pharmaceuticals for the rest of your life and hopefully it won't grow. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Then another doctor was like, first thing she said was, are you done having children? I was like, yes, but whatever you think you're going to do to my body that makes you ask that question, I'm not <laughs> doing that. <laughs> um, and so then I decided, I went within and I said, okay, it's time to actually have a conversation with this tumor. So I had a conversation. The tumor literally told me, you have been saying silent. You have not been sharing what is true for you outside. All of that energy has nowhere to go, so I am it. So you must speak truth. You must speak your truth. Interesting. Um, I had been spending so many years like placating, like accommodating, you know, fitting in here, fitting in there. I know what I can say to you because you come from this place. I know what I can say from. And this may come from uh, being a mixed race person. I mean, yeah. that's what I believe for me, but I think that's not a unique story to me or mixed race people. Like a lot of us walk around feeling like, Oh, I can't say this to that person, but I know I can tell this person yeah. just based yeah. on like culture. And it's almost so in anyway. the same realm as taking requests and just being like, yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't have chosen to have that on the set list, but I'm going to do it. And like, just kind of, you know, you got to read a room, you got to read your audience, you got to read people that you're talking to right. and, giving them what they want versus just being like, no, I'm, I'm just going to give you me. Yeah. Well, totally true in a reading a room kind of thing and performing, but in terms of like existing, I don't think it's a healthy thing. And I have proof that I was given, you know, I had a desmoid tumor in my stomach, my abdominal wall. So all that to say, writing mulatto math was phenomenally like rewarding and so scary mm -hmm. and it required immense courage to say the things that I said in that show um, where more <laughs> I can't even say one person more than at least two or three people that's what I've got said are your parents dead really like that because I talked about the relationship of what it means to have a white mother to a black daughter and what it means for a black uh, man to leave his past, hoping to find something better for himself. Um, so 
Yes, it, it was it was intense. It was beautiful. There was music written for it. Like I I, I have nine songs that I've never recorded um, that I wrote for the show. So yeah, it was phenomenal to create it, and it really helped move me to my next level uh, in life. Was it healing physically and yeah, mentally? That, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was healing on so many levels as an artist, as a professional, but as a human being, as a mixed race woman, like. Just all of the things you could identify me as, like it was so nourishing. Yeah. What's mm -hmm. the, um, you know, any more of these one woman shows percolating that we can expect to see down the road? Or is this, do you think this, you just kind of got to wait and see if with time? Yeah, there's a wait and see around that. Um, uh, I've always like, I have a show called Mixed the Musical. I mean, I started writing that when I was like 20 something. Uh, <laughs> who knows if that will ever see the light of day. Yeah. Um, but uh, Mulatto Math, I'm actually in conversation with people now uh, to make it a digital series, like uh, something that might be seen on like an HBO or uh, a Netflix, you know, fingers crossed as yeah. it continues to develop. Yeah, but it'd be a great show in that way, in that form as well. How was the process of writing that versus writing, um, you know, music, a song, an album, something like that? Oh, they're both so challenging and sometimes they come like so easily. I've written some songs in like six minutes and I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I, I think it's done. Oh, that's it. <laughs> and then there's been songs that I've had for like, you know, a couple of years that I'm like, yeah, I'll finish that one day because I don't know where to go with it. Yep. Um, but in general, because a song lasts in general, you know, no more than five minutes versus like, you know, a 75 minute show. That show just really required a lot. It just more, it's like running a marathon versus running <laughs> a half marathon. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. So I'm going to jump into these uh, three questions that I've been, I've been, well, there's two that I'm trying to ask most people that I interview and then one that I'm making up on the spot. So I want to, I want to get Improv. into Yeah, no, it's a good thing. Have you, I don't know if you've read through them at all, but I, if you haven't even better, um, if you had to listen to one band the rest of your life, which one would that be? I did. I did think I, I couldn't, I could not come up with an answer. I was thinking, That's fair. well, you know what? I might, I might say Sade. Okay. that band because uh the musicians are phenomenal they uh have a wide range of what they do Sade's voice is always fabulous and she writes very heartfelt uh like music you can kind of just like sink into yeah um and there's always a, a saxophone so that's not a bad thing <laughs> oh you're like me you just love a good saxophone <laughs> I used to just go seeking them and I lived in um, Milwaukee, which is about an hour and a half north of Chicago. So I would just, I would be looking at the music scene in Chicago all the time because the music scene in Milwaukee was decent, but not, not like Chicago. And then I would just yeah. see these saxophone players coming through. I'd be like, I'm going. Oh, I love that. Um, okay. So one song that you wish you would have written. That's a great question. 
Um, this is so random, but this is what came <laughs> forward. Um, I don't know who wrote it, uh, but the song was made popular by Sammy Davis Jr. It's called I Gotta Be Me. Okay. Do you know that song? I don't, but I will uh, find it and I'll play a portion of it on this forever. Whether I find a place in this world or never belong, I gotta be me. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great song. Why that uh, because, one? Because uh, it's, uh, it's that like, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find my place in this life or never belong, I gotta be me. Like, I think it just really resonates with like who I am and my journey. Yeah. Um, I think it's the songwriter is a guy named Walter Marks. Okay, good work, yeah. live fact checking. Yeah. <laughs> you got faster Wi-Fi than me. That's better. Um, okay. So I'm curious, this is kind of going more into the performance side of things, but I was just thinking of this as you were talking and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining you playing these rooms internationally and, and singing some of these um, big band jazz tunes and stuff like that. But I, and it, it can go in that direction. It doesn't have to, this is obviously your answer, but who's an act living or dead that you would have loved to have done a duet with? Well, an answer immediately came. Um, and it was like, it's the Duke Ellington Orchestra. I love that. Um, I would have the, a duet. I mean, we, uh, Billy, Billy Strayhorn uh, would uh, like arrange something gorgeous. Oh, I and love I'd this. This is even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I'd have the pleasure of singing, um, I think I might be getting this with um, Johnny Hartman. Maybe that. Really? Yeah. That'd oh, that's nice. so cool. See, now that, that's a good in depth answer. That's not just giving me the name of a person. Like, no, no, I want to be in, in control of how this is going to sound, what it's going to look like. <laughs> And I really like that. This goes back to your childhood of being the producer and the director. Right? I'm not willing to give up this control. Somebody just sent me like a Beyonce um, gif and it says, I'm not bossy. I'm the boss. Like, I just was like, oh, I like that. That's a nice distinction. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So we are going to close the show um, with the song Rally Call. Yeah, I really encourage everyone to go and watch this video on YouTube, which I will link to. And I'm just curious, what's one final message you would have for anyone hearing this song for the first time today? Well, um, if this is your first time hearing this song, I encourage you to take a deep breath before it begins, set a clear intention, to um, be willing to hear, feel, see something uh, that may be difficult and know that you are stronger than you think. That's perfect. That really sums it up nicely. Good. Um, well, I can't thank you enough, Monique. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. 
Well, thank you so much to Monique. And of course, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com and have a lovely day. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come walk with me. I'll grow your skin, nobody, no favor. There's a road where we're walking on thunder, where we all go deliver ourselves. We are down by the trees beyond thunder, so we own every part of ourselves. Get up your knees. The cage bird sings And it's a song He's almost forgotten Did you clip your wings? Yeah And take your place Among the downtrodden Our children, they know that The system is broken It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 